What the Fix is a podcast that's all about repair. Co-hosted by Paul Roberts and Jack Monahan. What the Fix brings you face-to-face with the activists, writers, thinkers, and policymakers who are fighting for our right to repair our stuff. To learn more or subscribe, visit our website at fighttorepair.news. That's fighttorepair.news. Welcome to another edition of the What the Fix podcast. I'm Paul Roberts. As residents of the first world, it might be easy to think of the fight for repair in first world terms. But as with many of the ills of our globalized economy, the burden of our throwaway culture is felt the most acutely by those at the bottom rungs of the economic ladder. Poor communities in developing countries that lack the resources and wealth to just step over the mountains of waste or insulate themselves from the consequences of poorly made and unreliable goods. For these communities, throwaway and unrepairable goods impose a significant cost. At the same time, repair can be an economic lifeline, extending the useful life of things, keeping toxic materials out of local waste streams, and easing the financial burden on struggling communities. Our guest for this week's What the Fix podcast knows this firsthand. Matthew Lubari is the Director of Community Creativity for Development, or CC4D, a community-based repair organization that he founded in the Rhino Camp Refugee Settlement in Arua, Uganda. In this conversation recorded at FixFest in Brussels last week, Matthew talks with me about what it took to set up a repair shop in a UN refugee camp, the types of goods and materials he helps camp residents to maintain, and about the high cost imposed on the world's poorest people by the tsunami of cheap electronics and other products that have flooded the marketplace. To start out, I asked Matthew to talk a little bit about how he got introduced to repair and about the circumstances that led him to set up CC4D in the Rhino Camp Refugee Settlement. I'm Matthew Lubari, and I come from South Sudan, but live in Uganda, in the refugee camp, and I work with the Community Creativity for Development. I'm a co-founder and at the same time the director leading the team. And you just gave the keynote speech here at FixFest in Brussels, uh, talking about your experience um, setting up a community-based repair program in, like you said, a UN refugee camp um, in Uganda, mostly refugees from South Sudan, where you're from. Talk about um, how you came to do that. You said in your keynote, you know, your dad repaired things and you sort of watched him repair things when you were when you were little yeah sure um when i was uh 12 to 14 i used to watch my dad fixing things uh, more especially his watch and radio much as he's a medical personnel but he loved fixing his radio whenever it fails to work yeah and his watch it uh, inspired me a lot and uh, not only that, I also got you know, uh, pushed to do repair because one time my phone got locked and I was locked out. I couldn't access um, what is inside my phone. 
So when I took it to the repairer, um, was like, yeah, I can repair it, and uh, called for much money. And while he was trying to fix, he kind of sent me out, not to see what he was, yeah. not see what he was doing and how he was fixing things. And so I told myself that I needed to make things open. So I went back after any fix. I went back and do my research and um, figured out what he figured did. out what he did and locked my phone and unlocked it and boom it worked out so i told myself i need to teach people how to repair and make repair open yeah where if a client brings an item for fixing he have to know how it's being fixed yeah by me being open and uh, telling him this is how it's done yeah kind of talk about like in a you know refugee camp obviously like what types of things do people have that they need repair and the lack of repair choice how does that impact people's lives uh, well uh, the items which are available in the refugee camps uh, include radios uh, mobile phones, solar lanterns, bicycles, generators, clothes, and uh, Sioux, yeah. you know, related uh, items that is generalizing as footwears. Yeah. Yeah, it's mostly common in the refugee yeah. uh, settlement. Sandals, boots. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. And uh, the lack of repair services, in fact, a lot the community in a way that when something is broken, you can't use it. And though it's still new, yeah. like it's yeah. in good condition, you wanna use it, but nowhere to, to, to find a place to fix it. So um, refugees often move longer distance to access repair services. Yeah. So uh, that has, you know, prompt us and realizing that gap within uh, repair and the repair culture in the refugee camp also pushed us to form ourselves as a group and of travel six. is expensive right i mean yeah going, right yeah it's expensive you travel for longer distance you have to pay for uh for good money in order to to reach and sometimes you reach uh, to the repair center and suddenly you're told we don't have the spare it's in Kampala, yeah. which is far away from the nearby city. Right. So it's kind of a triple loss. Yeah. Yeah, you've spent money now to get there just to learn that you can't get the repair done. Yeah. yeah. So for how old were you when, when you came to the, when you ended up in the refugee camp? Um, how I came to the refugee camp, uh, it was in 2016 when uh, you know man-made problems were caused so obviously that it's is a nice the, way to talk about it yes right There's yeah uh, yeah it has totally forced us to to flee to flee for safety yeah. and uh, we ended up being in uganda um in a separate ways i came from different direction my mom on its way and my siblings also had to come from their own ways up to now living separately and just trying to communicate like on phone sometimes so you live separate you live in a different camp than your mom and your siblings and your dad 
Yeah, my dad actually um, he never came to Uganda because uh, he said he's tired of being a refugee for the second time. Because mm. I myself have been, it's my second time now being a refugee. Mm. First time I was still a little kid mm. and I didn't know nothing, mm. but this time. You, you see what's going on. I see what's going on and had to run for my life. So everyone came in a different direction. and So you, you were able, how did you get started actually doing repair services within the camp? You talked about the example with your cell phone. That kind of got you thinking like, you know, there needs to be a better way to repair things than this. Where did you start out with the camp? Like, uh, you, you actually talked about it in your presentation. It was real. You had like three different tools when you first started. Yeah, um, managed to flee with uh, a zip of tools and uh, one screwdriver, so a cutter, yeah, yeah, a cutter, yeah. toothbrush, and a scissor yeah. that managed to escape with my hands and uh, try to use them maximally. And sometimes when the one screwdriver cannot couldn't open any single screw, so I had to figure a way out to get something that can open. And often I use the nail, you know, to as a, as to, a screwdriver, yeah. to to act as a screwdriver to yeah. to, to, to open yeah. up things. Creativity. You were able to connect with sort of a, a larger community of repair people like in Europe, Germany, and England, and the United States a little bit. Talk about um, some of the support you've gotten and what, what you're able to do now in the camp, what types of repair services. Thank you. Um, first, uh, people who inspired or who, who, who had made a repair cafe event in the refugee camp it, that was in 2018 um, an organization called Rogue Agents uh, is a Berlin based organization in Germany uh -huh. so uh, they collaborated with the a local NGO called Community Technology Empowerment Network mm -hmm. and I was volunteering with them by then and luckily uh, I happened to be a beneficiary to the Rogue Agents uh, program which is titled Access to Skills, Knowledge and Network, uh, Askinet uh, program yep. and uh, it was amazing you know learning about community repair cafe for the first time where I was fully involved and leading the team because yeah. had already experience in fixing things so uh, that has opened up ways and um, from there that we realized there's really huge gap in repair and reuse in the camp so we sort of three people one is called Malia Mungu Richard, who also loves fixing, and uh, Dawa Edina, who also loves fixing, and now she is the is gender activist. Yes. So uh, promoting, repair. promoting repair, women inclusion and repair culture. Yeah. So we teamed up as beneficiaries of that program, and we co-founded CC4D, yeah. where we are now fixing things in the camp. So you talked about the, 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 the sort of empowering women, like a, a lot of the folks that you've trained in the refugee camp are women, and that there's, you know, culturally there's this sort of, you know, women don't 
touch technology or you know I'm not sure that's actually that different than other places like I don't I don't want to mess with it I don't want to break it um, type attitude and sort of getting getting women to get past that and, and learn that they can fix and repair things T talk about that and, and how, how that how that work has gone in Early uh, this year, we had to carry on um, a data collection on what women are able to uh, to fix or what do they love to fix. And we found women are, were shy, you know, picking electronics as something that they want to do. So uh, instead, they were going for mending. Yeah. And uh, yeah. mostly mending. And yeah. uh, so. More, tra like, more traditional types of Yes. Yeah. So uh, we thought, like, Please try something out, like try the electronics. And uh, from there, with support from Rock Agents, we were able to organize a two days repair cafe sessions, where first day was for training and second day was hands-on skills, like yep. real fixing of stuff. Yep. So, boom. Women were able to know to learn in the short while, and they were able to fix lots of things. Up about to 25 items were fixed, electronics, and those include the solar lanterns, uh, radios, and more especially the radio. When they fixed, they were all jubilating and were happy. <laughs> so the feedback that we conducted after the repair cafe event was vivid. It was like, oh, we didn't believe that we could do this. We thought repair is only for men. Right. So, right. but now we can do it. And right. So, time goes on. We involve them throughout our repair cafe events where when we call them, at least we pair them with an expert. Yes. So, sit with an expert and fix things. So that the expert guides, this is how it's done, and now they are loving, and more of the women from other areas, they wanted to join fixing and right. become technicians. Right. And so what is, is the model that people bring things to you, and you help show them how to fix them themselves, or do you just take the item and fix it for them? You bring your items, get registered, come sit near the technician, and watch how it's done. Yes and tell you this is how it's done yes. the next time when you, you get the same yourself. problem you can easily right. do it yourself and after fixing we give them clues or notes on how they can keep caring for the item and maintain them well what are the most important items that people bring to you to be fixed what what do you see a lot of a lot of items that are being brought to a space and Includes the solar lanterns, yes. which is so common. Of course, the radios, um, the torches. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. So those are common things yeah. that people use at least every day. And mobile phones because they want to keep connected. Yes. Back home and within uh, the settlement because right. uh, not all the family members are in one location. Yeah. You know, you said that. One of the challenges that you deal with is just um, poorly made products, and and like a lot of repair people would say, lack of spare parts and, and information. Right? The spare parts are scarce, no manuals, yeah, and uh, the quality of the products. Like you buy something doesn't stay for long, 
and get broken. And sometimes when you go to the market, they say, we don't have the stock, I mean the, the spare parts, it's yeah. not there in the market, so yeah. you ended up throwing the item. And are you often able to fix those pieces? Um, sometimes it's hard to get those pieces yep. from the people because people are not willing to give yes. uh, even the dead item yes. to us. Yes. So it's a very big problem. Like those For to, with it, you could get parts from it? And other yeah, things. yeah, we could get parts from it, but they never wanted to give because they still want to stay. They have that tendency of staying with the item even yes. if it's dead. Yes. So um, what we we're thinking could be the best way to solve that is uh, maybe uh, giving those communities incentives to give back those like broken a voucher or something or yes yeah, something in exchange for in exchange for yeah. uh, for the for the item so right. that will definitely work and we will recover those uh, dead items in the hands of the community I mean one of the difficult things I'm, I imagine about being in a refugee camp is just the sense of like wanting to have control over your life and in some ways what you do gives that gives the community there a sense of like we're doing for ourselves like we're you know we're taking care of our own needs here in the refugee community have you does, has it been a positive influence in the community do you think has it made people feel well uh, the, the, the response to what we're doing is uh, so amazing like the feedback from the community is great because first thing we have reduced a lot of burden the transport costs the time wasted so been you know reduced and we volunteered our time to take that up even not being paid but you volunteer to serve the community where do things go now? What, first of all, I'm sure you'd love to get back home to South Sudan and be with your family again. Maybe set up a repair shop there. We hope like, when things get better, we hope to get back home and continue with the, <coughs> introduce the aspect of the repair cafe events yes. or the repair cafe centers Yes. and also uh, to manage U.S. like yes. of recent um, when I went and got my passport back home, I saw a huge amount of waste. Right, uh, yeah, waste. So I was like, yeah. what's the government doing? Yeah. Yeah. How do we fix that? Because the gov- what the government is doing now, they are not focusing on the waste management. Because they're still more into the infrastructural development. Yes. To put buildings and... Yes. But not minding of the U.S. or the West management. Right. Uh, right. So you find things being burnt and causes a lot of smoke, Plastics. pollute the environment. Yes. yes. The soil being polluted, the water yes. and the air. So dangerous. Really a big problem in the developing world. Right? Yes. Yeah. So um, as uh, we hope to get home, we'll make sure that the already existing repair cafe stays or being managed by the people who are the locals around. Meanwhile, we aim to expand and set other repair cafes. Community-based. Community-based. Yes. And even back home. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, keep on coordinating and seeing how um, all works and uh, learning from one repair cafe to another. Yeah. 
What would you say to sort of the manufacturers of this stuff, the phones and the radios and the other electronic stuff? How could they make life easier for not just folks in refugee camps, but just generally folks in uh, communities where, you know, they're not crazy affluent communities, but people really need and rely on this technology? One is that what we are calling for is that the right to repair should be a thing yeah. to the community so that everyone can fix things and making spare parts available and the spare parts should be genuine spare parts, not spare parts that only last for a short period of time. We need long lasting things. I know there must be up to businesses but when you manufacture something long lasting and you sell it at a good price nobody will reject to buy right i think one of the really interesting things you talk about which is so true which is the the other costs of making poor poor quality products like when something breaks you buy something new and six months later it breaks it's not just you know oh well you now have to get a new replace it like as somebody who, you know, might not have a lot of money to spare, you're going to try and you're going to maybe need to travel to get that repaired. You're going to have to pay somebody who maybe won't be able to fix it, and then you're back where you started. Like there are all these other costs that go along with it that I don't, I don't think, you know, companies like you know the big manufacturing companies are necessarily thinking about that so much. You know, like you've made this product, people rely on it. You really need to make it last because. That makes a big difference in their lives, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think uh, they must be, they need to be thinking along that way. Because, like, take a scenario, you buy a product, a spare part now, and uh, you go back home, the next day, you wake up and it's not working. Yeah. Time wasted, money wasted, and when you go back to the sellers, they will definitely reject, oh no, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. What have you done? Yeah. Maybe you burnt it. Yeah. Yet it's not the consumer's fault. Right. right. So the fault is right from the manufacturers having produced low quality products, which affects this chain and making the consumer not to trust the buyer, I mean the, the seller. Yet this person who sells does not know how it's being manufactured. Right. So bringing that mistrust and business collapsing. And other folks have talked about that as well too. Like you know, yes, and it, it undermines the relationship between the the repairer and the customer in both ways, right? Or the seller and the customer in both ways. You know, the customer thinks you sold me something crappy. The the seller thinks, well, you're you know, you're trying to get something out of me, and it. And in reality, it's the manufacturer who's who's made the poor quality product, recently. Yes, and sometimes it causes conflicts. Conflicts, right? Yeah. 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 You're coming back to me for something. I'm not going to give it to you. You know, right? That that could turn into something. Yes, which is too bad. So manufacturers need to manufacture genuine things. Yeah. That when someone buys, can really use it and say, "My money has not fallen down." Yeah. So I see this event, this coming as a breakthrough for many things in life, both so. personally and yeah. organizational wide.
Well, it was really great having you speak because I think, again, you know, um, sometimes the conversation in Right to Repair is, gets very focused on what's going on in North America or what's going on in Europe, you know, and, and but it's a global problem. And in fact, in some ways, the importance of it and the impact of it matters so much more in places like Africa and, and you know, Middle East and places, you know, where this really makes a difference. Having a right to repair will really make a difference in people's lives. Um, and so having you be able to sort of talk about that, I think, was really was great. I'm glad they glad they invited you and I'm glad you literally put your life on the line to, to come here and ma and got it to happen. That's so great. Yeah, I'm really so great and as well, you know, met with individual supporters who had been supporting the initiative yes. just at the back, minus even not like seeing each other, not even having a conversation like a visual Yes. Um, visual calls like virtual video calls but we are just texting and finally Meeting in the fig fest we were able to meet in person yes and uh, it was really a great experience what are the what are the obstacles that you face as an organization and um, what are your needs what are you looking for one thing that has been biggest is that uh, we lack tools and a proper you know uh, a decent storage or a good structure that we can run all sort of repairs in and power uh, has been also a great challenge to us and above all of course all this you know happens when there is availability of funds yes yeah so uh, the biggest issue is the money the money the money is the biggest issue that has you know tightened our hands and uh, has made us know not to expand to a lot of areas. But of course, uh, if given opportunity of funds or good partnerships, we could do more. And can people donate if they go to CC4D online? Can they donate? Of course. Um, like currently, we are running a GoFundMe. Uh, we'll to, yes. to um, popularize the International Repair Day because it's not known in Uganda. So we'd like to popularize it. And this has been with the help of uh, Repair Cafe Malmo. Yeah. So whom they are running for us all this. Great. And because uh, the GoFundMe, we could not, it could not work in Uganda. So we had to uh, talk to friends to, to organize for us and uh, make noise on it. So we will link to that. And yeah, yeah, sure. I would be happy, you know, to to see people donating yeah. to the cause, and uh, so that we can share and provide services to many people. Because currently, there's a small friction of people whom we are providing the services to. Yet, there are over a hundred and twenty thousand in the refugee camp. in the refugee camp who yeah. needs those services. Yeah. So we also look forward, like, to extending the services to other settlements in the camp in the camp yes so and it's a huge you know task yeah that cannot be done by one person yeah. but together we can fix it how big is the camp um the camp it's uh it's big i think uh approximate kilometers i still uh don't know into details but it's kind of big because imagine over 
120,000 yeah, people and, and and that is that is one settlement and there are neighboring settlements are there and yet there's a bigger settlement which is called Bidi Bidi which is uh, I think it is the, the second biggest in the world uh-huh. so and it's still untouched those services are not there I'm not extended to yeah so we believe that a lot of work training hands yeah. together and making things possible we can fix it a lot, they're a lot closer to it than before thanks to thanks to your efforts and you've obviously done a tremendous amount of work so thank you thank you too i'm so happy great to meet great you and we'll do it again yeah. matthew lubari is the director of community creativity for development a repair clinic in the rhino camp refugee settlement in arua uganda 